1: I could stay here forever.
0: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We'll go
3: on the record here in Fremont County. Good morning to everybody. It is May twenty-six, two 2021. Case number CR 2221-1623. State of Idaho versus Chad Guy Daybell. Mr. Daybell, can you hear me okay? Yes. Can you hear me? I need you to speak a little bit louder, Mr. Daybell. Yes, I can hear you.
0: This Zoom court appearance is just to determine dates for future hearings. Chad Daybell looks directly at the camera, alert and calm.
3: The first count is conspiracy to commit first degree murder as well as grand theft by deception. That count is punishable by death or life imprisonment.
0: A long list of charges against Chad Daybell gets read into the record. They include the murder of his first wife, Tammy Daybell, and the killings of Tylee Ryan and JJ Vallow, the children of his second wife, Lori Vallow. He pleaded not guilty to all these charges.
3: If the death penalty is not sought, the court shall impose a life sentence, including mandatory minimum period of incarceration, of 10 years.
0: Until today, Lori and Chad have almost always been treated as a duo. After months of waiting in jail, they were charged together, co-conspirators. Both pleaded not guilty together. Now, their paths seem to be diverging. If convicted, Chad could be heading towards death row. Lori is heading somewhere else for now.
3: Good morning to everybody. We will call up case number CR-2221-1624, State of Idaho versus Lori Noreen Vallow. Miss Vallow, Miss Daybell, is present here with her attorney, Mr. Means. I have
0: In her Zoom appearance, Lori has a mask on and seems to be wearing a hospital gown. She's silent, slumped. She looks a little ghostly.
3: Thank you. Based upon the information that was provided to the court, the court is going to continue this initial appearance uh, based
0: upon... Unlike Chad's hearing, no charges are read into the record, no dates are set. Instead, things are put on hold because Lori Vallow is deemed not competent to stand trial. We
3: will set this for a time and date certain in the future. For right now, we don't know that date and time. In
0: an effort to determine if she'll ever be sane enough to understand what she's facing and help with her own defense, Lori will be held for a 90-day assessment.
3: Any other questions, Mr. Wood? No, Your Honor. Okay, that will be all for today. Thanks, everybody, for appearing. We will be adjourned.
0: While I was watching the hearing on my computer, I almost nodded along when the judge said that Lori wasn't fit to stand trial. Everything that Lori believed and is alleged to have done is so unfathomable to most of us that the easiest way to make sense of it is by labeling her mentally ill. How else to understand a loving mom who comes to believe that her kids are zombies? Questioning her mental health provides a weird kind of comfort. It puts up a wall between what Lori has been accused of and ourselves. It makes all of us feel better. But what if she's not as much of an outlier as she's made out to be? Aren't other people also susceptible to radical thinking and behavior given the right environment or primed by the right person?
2: I see parallels with Lori Vallow. I see enormous differences as well, but I I feel as if I understand how she could go down a path so irrational to the rest of the world, and yet it would be rational to her. In fact, it might be the only choice she saw as viable.
0: I'm Sarah Trelevin, and this is Madness of Two, an original podcast by USG Audio.
4: Hello?
0: Hi Beth, it's Sarah. Hey, um, oh, hang on one second.
4: Just, um, just screwed something up. Okay, now I'm recording. Okay. Okay.
0: Beth Karras is a former New York City prosecutor who now does investigative journalism. She's been working with us on this podcast. We're talking in June 2021. So, Beth, can you
4: describe Lori's situation to me? So, a psychiatrist examined her and reached a conclusion, and and he made three findings. He found that she lacked fitness to proceed— which is what I describe incapable of assisting in her defense and understanding the proceedings. He also found that she lacked capacity to make informed decisions about her treatment. And the final finding was that she's not dangerously mentally ill. You would think charged with murder that she would be. But that last finding determined where she went. Hmm. So she's in a mental health facility right now, as we speak. She's, that's where she is for 90 days and and they're going to try to make her competent. So how do they do that? Well, typically the patient is uh, given medicine and because the judge made that finding that she lacked capacity to make informed decisions, she can be forced to take her medicine. Okay, she she can't make decisions about her own care. And maybe she's in group therapy, maybe she's in one-on-one therapy until she understands like the role of the judge, the role of the jury, that her lawyer's on her side, the prosecutor's against her, so she can understand all these concepts and assist in her defense. And once that happens and she's stable, then her case will be back on the calendar and she can go to trial.
0: Okay. So will Lori be able to, if if she doesn't, for example, respond to medication, would she be able to plead insanity?
4: She cannot. Idaho is one of four states that do not have Uh, an insanity defense.
0: So the judge isn't saying whether or not Lori was insane at the time of the alleged crimes. The judge is saying that Lori is not well enough right now to fully participate in her defense. She will remain in treatment until she is deemed mentally fit to stand trial. And this could go on and on, with Lori Vallow between the walls of that state mental hospital for a very long time. While the clock ticks, there's a woman in Arizona who will be following Lori Vallow's story closely. I want you to meet Christine Marie. Christine is a former member of the LDS Church. She's now a psychologist and cult expert, and she volunteers with Mormon women in southern Utah who broke away from their prophet the infamous and now-imprisoned polygamist, Warren Jeffs. Christine also describes herself as an animal lover, and she's not kidding. One of the FLDS
2: families had a petting zoo, and they had asked if they could keep their donkeys at our house, and we said, sure, that sounds fun, they're miniature donkeys. But what we didn't know is that it also came with A miniature sheep, a large sheep, a miniature goat, a miniature horse, and now we have this miniature petting zoo, and we are just getting the biggest kick
0: out of it. Christine never met Lori Vallow, but her experience seemed to overlap with Lori's up to a crucial point. And I wanted her to help me understand if Lori was a total outlier or if any of her behavior made a perverse kind of sense. As we talked, I started seeing Christine almost as a looking-glass version of Lori. Like Lori, Christine is vivacious and blonde, a devoted mother. And they're both former beauty queens. Lori competed in a Mrs. Texas pageant. Christine once wore a Mrs. Michigan sash. Christine is where I imagine Lori might have ended up if she had chosen a different path.
2: When I was a devout Latter-day Saint. I really loved my life. I felt a great sense of meaning and a lot of happiness. And I must say that the people who are in the mainstream Mormon church, I see them as really good people that
0: live family values. Like Lori, Christine married young. She had four kids and grew increasingly religious pulled in by the family-first culture and what she sees as the beauty of LDS rituals.
2: When you go through the veil ceremony and you're on the other side of it, you're sitting in this beautiful white room with beautiful chairs, and there's
0: usually a little bit of gold and beautiful white curtains. Christine's talking about the temple endowment ceremony. I've looked at an illicit pocket video of one of these secret ceremonies on YouTube. Mormons, dressed in white, repeat vows committing to the church and to Jesus. As the ceremony progresses, they move from room to room, ending in a white-walled final sanctum with high ceilings and twinkling chandeliers. It's made to evoke feelings
2: of the celestial kingdom, like being in heaven. And you sit there. Knowing that you've lived your life worthy to be part of this beautiful spiritual experience. And it is. And then it's
0: something you don't want to lose. But her earthly life wasn't as beautiful. After 13 years, Christine's marriage broke down. Mormons are permitted to divorce here on Earth. Lori was divorced four times. But Christine believed that being single could be an obstacle in the afterlife, especially for women. You can't make it to the highest degree of heaven without a husband.
2: So I prayed to find out who my husband might be or to ask Heavenly Father to send me information. And I had a very vivid dream. The person that I saw looked like somebody that I could describe easily to others. And then lo and behold, I went to my very first LDS singles dance
0: After I moved to Utah, and there he was. In the wake of her divorce, Christine had been drawn to a more fundamentalist stream of Mormonism. And this man slid right in, checking all the boxes. He told her that he was translating ancient scriptures, just like Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon Church. Chad Daybell told Lori Vallow the exact same thing. Christine's new man presented her with eight chapters of those scriptures, the way a secular guy might try to impress a woman by showing her a screenplay. In Christine's world, those pages were evidence that he really was a prophet. And he seduced her with promises of a glorious afterlife together, the idea that their bond would transcend this world. My goal was just to please
2: God and make it to eternity so I could be with my children forever. That was my life. I was completely devoted. And from what I know about Lori going to the
0: temple all the time, I see that in her as well. But soon, he began asking her to prove her faith in him and in God. As a Mormon, she was accustomed to the idea that earthly life was a series of tests designed to keep her on a righteous path but she was completely unprepared for the sacrifice he would ask her to make.
2: And he said, do you love the Lord with all your heart, might, mind, and strength? I said, of course. He said, would you give up your life for the Lord? I said, I would. And he said, would you give up your children for God? And that one knocked the wind out of me. They were my life. And he knew that. How could he ask this of me? And I was sick. I was gutted. It was beyond my comprehension. And I was in a catch-22 because if he was the prophet and I disobeyed, then I would lose my soul. But how could a mother whose entire life is her children? I... How could she part with them? Christine couldn't. He wanted me to give my children up for adoption. I believe he thought those children were in the way of
0: him getting my full attention and everything he wanted. This is where Christine and Lori's stories seem to deviate. Well, this man turned out to be a man without a conscience. He took my
2: dignity I almost lost my children. I lost things that were precious to me. I lost self-respect. I lost everything that was
0: near and dear to a mother's heart. It was as if this request was so shocking, it forced Christine to see the truth. She hid her children and moved into a cockroach-infested hotel in downtown Salt Lake she found out that the prophet had targeted her for her money. He didn't even believe in the Book of Mormon. He was an atheist.
2: I remember falling to my knees, like bending forward and rocking back and forth, crying and
0: wailing. Slowly, after a long, painful extrication, Christine got out from under the thumb of the man she now refers to as her false prophet.
2: My faith was used against me. So is Lori's faith being manipulated so that Chad could have sex with this beautiful woman? Or is Lori using her faith to manipulate Chad into becoming who she needed him to be to secure her place
0: in eternity. Christine wonders if Lori was also seduced by the promise of a ladder to the afterlife, offered by a man who claimed to be speaking for God.
2: And I think that is what cult leaders do. And quite frankly, that's what psychopaths do as well. They find the missing pieces in your life and they make you feel as if They are the one to fill in those missing pieces. They are the godsend to your life. And they lift you up.
0: With this connective tissue between her and Lori, Christine won't engage in a dismissive hot take, writing off Lori Vallow as a crazy doomsday mom. The public will crucify mothers because their job is sacred. And it
2: is. And children are vulnerable. They are. And even in this story, when we focus on Lori Vallow, it bothers me because Lori Vallow wouldn't be famous today if she had never met Chad Daybell. I believe Lori Vallow's children would be alive today had she never met Chad Daybell.
3: Listen and subscribe wherever you
0: get your podcasts. She might not have become famous without Chad, but Lori was already hanging out on the outer edges of LDS theology when they met. Her nasty divorce from Joe Ryan wasn't so far in the rearview mirror, and Lori continued to believe that he had sexually abused her kids, even though he was cleared. And her marriage to Charles Vallow was crumbling. In divorce papers, he claimed she believed she was eternally married to a Book of Mormon prophet named Moroni, and she had lived many lives on other planets. Charles told police he tried to get Lori to see a doctor, but she refused. This is where Lori's head was at when she attended that Prepper conference in 2018 and finally met Chad Daybell in person. He strolled in, like Christine Marie's nameless prophet, entering the dance as if she'd conjured him, the perfect LDS man, there to fix what was broken.
1: If you're undergoing uh, loss in a relationship, death of a loved one, an illness, uh, dislocation, uh, moving to a new city, state, or country, something that throws you off balance, certainty you're going to be more susceptible to being recruited into one of these groups.
0: Stephen Hassan is a counselor and author of several books on cults. Hassan knows what it's like to be susceptible to undue influence. In 1974, he was 19 years old and his girlfriend had just dumped him. He was bereft and sitting alone in a student cafeteria when he was approached by a couple of pretty young women.
1: And they were representatives of a cult called the Moonies or the Moon Organization. Little did I know that they would lie to me and manipulate me and find out all kinds of details about me. And it began a a two-and-a-half-year odyssey into the world of becoming a right-wing fascist fanatic and believer that Sun Myung Moon was the messiah.
0: Taken in by this group of people who seemed at first to care deeply for him, Hassan's entire worldview was gradually reorganized. And when you were enmeshed with the Moonies, how did you perceive non-believers, people who might have thought that you were crazy?
1: So one important thing to understand about this issue is that it's kind of like a dissociative disorder. So the Steve Hassan, who was son of Milton and Estelle Hassan, who was a creative writing major was suppressed, and I had a new identity that was the son of Moon and his wife. And so in that new identity, I was programmed to believe that Satan was a real thing and controlling people through demons. So I became very arrogant and thought I knew everything and was doing God's will, and uh, cut off from my family and friends, and I transformed into this opposite of who I was and what my values and beliefs were about.
0: We reached out to the Unification Church, which is now known as the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification. Asked about Hassan's charges, the church said it is not a cult and denied any dubious practices in its evangelism. One of the core mysteries of this case is the dramatic transformation of Lori Vallow from loving mom to a woman who stands accused of murdering her children. While no one is saying that Chad Daybell led a cult, he did claim to be a prophet and spread his end times beliefs through books, podcasts, speeches, extreme beliefs that Lori consumed voraciously.
3: Did Lori believe things that you didn't believe?
0: Yes. Yes. This is Melanie Gibb, Lori's friend, testifying at Chad Daybell's preliminary hearing.
1: Who taught her those things? She was taught um, through Chad.
0: And how do you know that?
1: Because she didn't seem to have knowledge of the things she shared with me until she met him.
3: Okay, and did she ever tell you that Chad taught her things?
1: Yes.
0: Chad, white bread carpool dad, might seem an unlikely messianic figure, and Lori was already infatuated with pretty wild religious doctrine when they met. We don't know whether they were equal partners in the alleged crimes, or if one held more sway over the other. The same can be asked about Lori's dead brother, Alex. Lori seemed to draw him into the orbit of her beliefs, and police say he played a major role in the deaths of JJ and Tylee. But how did he fit into Lori and Chad's dynamic? Who led whom? Stephen Hassan and Christy Marie will tell you, timing is everything. Prophets enter through the cracks. Chad seems to have met Lori where she was at, emotionally vulnerable and highly religious. Is Chad Daybell a cult leader? Is that how he appears to you?
1: He has written many books and claims to have divine authority. And I know that he was involved with a a group of uh, doomsday preppers, but whether or not he had an actual, you know, physical cult or whether or not uh, Lori Vallow just got swept into his mindset, which is how it looks from the outside. I don't have any forensic inside knowledge on this case, but from... Lori's ex-husband's writings and verbalizations, it seems to me like there was a radical personality change when she got involved with Chad Daybell. So from that point of view, there is a question in my mind whether or not she was unduly influenced by him.
0: Hassan says undue influence is any act of persuasion that overcomes the free will and judgment of another person. This doesn't always involve a guy in flowing robes, arms to the sky, proselytizing to a rapturous crowd. An undue influencer might use coercion or flattery or deception to persuade a single person. These one-on-one personality cults are so intimate— but someone who's being influenced might come to think and do things entirely at odds with who they were before the relationship started. When he was a devotee of Reverend Moon, Stephen Hassan, who was born and raised Jewish, became a Holocaust denier.
1: If you apply that same mental construct that I had, and you're with somebody who's supposedly talking to heavenly forces and says your children are possessed, they're not your real children anymore, and God wants you to kill them, you're not killing your children. They've already been taken over by, by evil and devils or zombies. So it's not a big stretch to act that out. You know, The human mind is an amazing thing, and human beings are endlessly fascinating. But we need to use our critical analytic minds and judgment to evaluate claims. And when you deal in the realm of the spiritual, unless you have a very strong theological grounding— it's very easy to be taken up into all kinds of very extreme, bizarre uh, beliefs, and then, unfortunately, behaviors.
0: Lori and Chad's relationship sprang from a field of wild ideas, and just kept growing.
1: We call from El-Hateful, and hold <laughs> for and Emily <laughs>
0: and-
4: at Madison County
0: Jail. This call is being made on June 9th 2020. Lori is being held in jail on several charges, including child desertion. Chad is still at home, yet to be arrested. It's hard to hear what they're saying, so I'll walk you through it. Federal agents have descended on Chad's property. Lori asks if they're in the house.
4: Why are they in the house? No, they're in the house, the
1: property.
0: Outside in his backyard, literally as this call is happening, JJ and Tylee's remains are being dug up. But Lori doesn't ask about the kids. She asks if the police are seizing stuff, and Chad explains that they have a search warrant. Are
4: they seizing
2: stuff again? They're searching. It's a search warrant to so,
4: the kids. Okay.
0: Lori asks Chad if he wants her to pray. What
4: do you want you to do pray? What do you want me to do? What can I do for
0: you? Prosecutors say that Lori and Chad were partly motivated by their religious beliefs. Sources say that the doomsday couple believed the world was going to end in 2020, and in order to clear the path to heaven, they needed to rid the world of evil. And that included Lori's children, who police say they saw as zombies. Well, obviously, the world did not end, but the bond between prophet and disciple remains strong. According to Stephen Hassan, this response is not uncommon.
1: So, a very important book was written in 1957 called When Prophecies Fail by Leon Festinger, who studied a UFO cult. And the leader had prophesied that a saucer would land on a particular mountain top on a particular day.
0: Festinger was a social psychologist. He wanted to know what would happen when the saucer never showed up.
1: The predictions were that people would get disillusioned and leave the group. But the opposite happened, and it led to the formulation of a very important construct called cognitive dissonance theory. And cognitive dissonance theory basically says that humans like to have consistency between their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and when there's something that violates that consistency, there's a strong tendency to rationalize or justify, to maintain the belief. And furthermore, the more extreme the behavior a person is asked to do, like sell your company and go up to a mountaintop, when the saucer doesn't come, you're going to have invested so much in that belief that it's true That when the leader says, oh, because of your faith, they decided to spare the earth, the tendency is to believe it versus get disillusioned and walk away from the cult leader who did the false prophecy.
0: And Stephen Hasson says that when a prophecy does fail, people tend to lean in harder. They don't get disillusioned, but instead their beliefs intensify. And if the community around you keeps reinforcing ideas that aren't rooted in reality, it gets harder and harder to say what's crazy anymore. I, you know, am horrified
2: by her decisions, but I understand them. And people need to understand it could happen to anybody. I mean, it's a proven fact that our environment contributes to good people
0: doing evil things. While Lori Vallow sits in a mental institution in Idaho, Christine Marie is on her farm with her animals. She's rebuilt her life. She's remarried. On her website, you can see pictures of her grown kids, arms entwined, wearing matching plaid shirts. What would you like to say to her? I mean, if you had a chance to sit down with her, where would you even start? I would tell her my story. I would tell her how i could
2: not think critically our brain is lazy it wants black and white thinking and easy answers and there is always a duality we're all part good and part bad we don't want to think of it but we have a shadow side a dark side and we you know normally have tools to be able to combat that and to stay in the zone of mental health i don't know who the real Lori Vela was, but who she was to one
0: person may not be who she was to another. In that gray space between light and dark, maybe what happened wasn't just a woman who allegedly lost it and killed her kids, but something more complicated. Do you see Lori as a victim of Chad Daybell? Is she somebody who fell under the influence of another false prophet?
2: I do see Laurie as a victim of Chad Bell. at the same time. I think she's a victim perpetrator. I think she's also had her influence
0: on him. I think the two of them together were the perfect storm. As the walls close in, just moments before he's arrested... Chad and Lori remain locked in their own universe. Chad tells Lori that he loves her, and Lori asks if she should try to call him later.
1: It's okay. Call from somebody else I need to talk to. I love you so much. Okay, I love you.
4: Should I try to call you later? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. We uh, can so try, yeah. I'll reach if I can.
0: Chad says, "I'll answer if I can." Okay. I love you, and we'll talk soon. Okay, baby, I love you. Okay, love
3: you. Good night.
0: Next, next time on Madness of Two.
3: People don't really come out and say it, but I mean, Lori is a fairly good-looking woman, and Chad kind of looks like a potato man. I think the police have a bit of a cynical view on it. I, I don't think they focus nearly as much on the religion part of it as the media has. I think the, the police have been thinking sex and money were the motivators for a long time, a lot longer than we were. They tell us there are terabytes of evidence here. I mean, they, they, these they were sloppy. Chad and Lori were sloppy in the way they did this.
0: This episode was produced by Beth Karras, Katrina Onstadt, and me, Sarah Trelevin. Additional producing by Pacent Matar. Our production assistant is Danya Ali. Mix and sound design by Philip Wilson. Voice coaching by Athena Karkanis. Our executive producers are Kathleen Goldhar, Katrina Onstadt, and Stuart Cox. Our USG audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Josh Block, Jennifer Sears, Daniel Welsh. And Craig Bloom. Theme music composed by Boombox Sound. This is an Antica Productions podcast in collaboration with USG Audio. For more information, go to usgaudio.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances.